You're listening to the Butterfly Effect Podcast, episode number 34. Today, I'm sitting down with Dr. Drew Jamison again, who is a naturopathic doctor from Vancouver, BC. We're going to be digging into why you aren't losing weight, even though you're in a calorie deficit, and what you can do about it. If you enjoy this episode, all I ask is that you screenshot it and share it on your social media story or feed to show your love. If you have a second to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or SoundCloud, the show can continue to grow and expand its listeners. Taking the time to share it with your followers and subscribers will totally help keep it thriving, so I can continue to bring you quality episodes like the one you listen to today. This is the Butterfly Effect Podcast, and I'm Ashlyn Newlove, tackling everything from fitness, nutrition, business, life, ice cream cones, and everything else in between to help inspire people to make one change that causes their ripple effect. The Butterfly Effect Podcast is brought to you by The Sweat Effect. If you haven't checked out all of my new weight loss programs at thesweateffect.com lately, then you should. And if you love delicious tasting protein bars that also happen to be low calorie, then Built Bars are the answer. My clients love reaching their goals while eating foods that actually taste good, and Built Bars are my number one recommendation for them. If you would like to try them out, use promo code SWEATEFFECT to receive a discount on your order as well as free shipping. Welcome to episode number 34. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm a nutrition and weight loss coach helping my clients reach their goals while eating everyday foods without restricting food groups with my online program, The Sweat Effect. Dr. Drew has been on the show a few times now discussing everything from hormones, menopause, gut health, sleep and stress, and how it all affects your health and weight loss, and is my main go-to for consulting when it comes to medical reasons why some of my clients may not be losing weight. He's my number one recommendation to all my clients and followers for consults since he does telehealth and can accommodate consulting with patients all over the country. Today, we're going to be going in-depth into medical reasons why you may not be losing weight, even though everything is aligned and your calorie deficit is on fire. Welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Drew. Hey, thanks for having me on. Good to be here. We do this every time you're on the show, but since we last chatted, I got a huge influx of new followers. So for those who may not know you, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Yeah, thanks. So I'm Dr. Drew Jameson. I'm a naturopathic doctor from the Vancouver, BC area, and I have two practices. So I have one in uh, New Westminster and one in Burnaby. And I have a focus in several different areas, but my main lately has been a lot of metabolism, uh, weight loss, hormone balancing, Sleep and stress is always a big part of my practice. And then I do a lot of sports injuries and um, regenerative injection techniques. So that's things like prolotherapy, ERP. Uh, I originally found this medicine through my own health struggles. Uh, I just realized the system had a lot of limitations and I'd seen many doctors over the years and I wasn't quite getting the answers that I kind of knew I deserved. And a lot of the stuff I was offered was just a Band-Aid treatment. And then I stumbled into a naturopathic doctor's office when I was 21 and kind of just blew my mind. He showed me a whole new side of medicine that I didn't know existed. And he was talking to me about my sleep and my gut. And, you know, we did food sensitivity testing and, you know, he helped me with all my injuries. He reversed all my injuries in like three to six months. And I was like, why is no other doctor doing this kind of stuff? Like I saw five other people and no one told me about any of it. So needless to say, I was hooked from that day and I've only seen naturopathic doctors ever since. And he took me under his wing, sorted out all my health stuff. And then at some point there, we just got talking and he's like, you should go back to school, become an ND profession needs people like you. And I had a kinesiology background. I have a sports science background. I played a lot of varsity football. And so it was just a really good segue into naturopathic medicine. And so I'm, I'm in my eighth year of practice now. 
and just getting better every day, learning as much as I can to deliver amazing care to my patients because I hear the frustrations and I hear the stories of the patients in my office of what's happening with their health, how they're being treated, things that are getting missed. And I know no one's perfect. I'm certainly not a perfect practitioner, but the big difference between us and the system is we take the time to comb through the health history and actually spend time with people to figure out the cause of things. So we spend 30 to 60 minutes with people to really iron out what is going on. Okay, what medications are you on? What allergies do you have? What led up to this point? What are the lifestyle factors contributing to what you're dealing with? And then we dig a bit deeper with the testing. And me and Ashlyn are going to discuss this as we go here on, on the, the call tonight. Where are people not getting thorough assessments done um, and just uh, digging a bit deeper to figure out, okay, metabolically, why is someone maybe not losing weight or why have they hit the wall or what's their hormone status actually like? And um, so we're going to dive into that as we go, because that's a big part of my practice. I do a lot of testing and a lot of treatment based on that. And, and primarily we're using herbs, nutrients, botanicals, but I've also been delving a lot into bioidentical hormones as well as thyroid hormone. And that's a huge one that we'll touch on here as we go. So that's just a bit about me um and yeah and that is why you're the person <laughs> that i recommend to everybody so what i do as a nutrition coach is dialing people in with their calorie deficit making sure that they're getting up moving that their sleep is in line you know they're relatively unstressed and if they're not seeing movement on the scale my next step is a recommendation for them to go see an ND and have some testing done. Um, and we've talked about how sleep and stress in a previous episode, it was episode 25 when you came on the show, we talked about how that can affect weight loss. But there are things that are out of the client's control. And if you are someone who is like, I have been in a calorie deficit, I know that this is my calorie deficit, I am exercising, walking, I'm getting, you know, at least seven hours of quality sleep most nights. Um, and, you know, my stress isn't crazy through the roof. Why aren't I seeing weight loss? That is when I say, you know what, you need to go and have some testing done. And that's where Drew comes in. So when someone comes into your office and they tell you, you know, all of these things are in line what is your next step for them? What is the first thing that you do when someone says, those are in line, I'm in a calorie deficit and I'm not losing any weight? Yeah. And this is obviously someone that's doing the, the strength training, the exercise. And so generally speaking, all their pillars of health are in place, right? Yes. Because we always start there as a foundational thing because obviously I get people coming to my office and they're not doing the basics and they want to skip right to the testing and the fancy, this, that, and the other. So I like what you do with people. In fact, I love what you do with people because you get all those things established, right? And that's kind of the basis of our medicines. Like, are you drinking enough water? Are you sleeping? Are you exercising? Are you dealing with stress? Because it's coming at you whether you like it or not. So you better know how to deal with it. And then if, if all the, if they're ticking all the boxes and they still hit a wall, that's the perfect patient because they already have the basics in place. I know they're like, they're, they're, they're sort of, uh, they're on board, right? They're like, they're encouraging because it's like, okay, I don't have to twist arms too much. You can tell they're, they're ready to go and tackle this. So that's when, depending on age and depending on case, but I'll just kind of go with some scenarios here. But when it comes to blood work, there's certain things that are best done in blood, and then there's certain things that are best done in urine. So if someone has hit a metabolic wall and they're like, I can't lose weight, what do you think is going on? The first few tests that I suggest you ask your doctor about, or if you're in my office, uh, I'd be looking at insulin and blood sugar. Because a lot of times people just get their glucose tested once a year. It'll come back in range. The doctor will say they're fine, which is great. 
but sometimes you can have in the back insulin resistance brewing. So it's very important to get insulin tested. Why? Insulin is a storage hormone. So insulin moves sugar from the bloodstream into the muscles, into the liver, and into fat cells. So if you don't have a lot of muscle, you don't have as much glucose disposal potential. Once your muscles and liver are full, guess what? It goes to fat cells. So this is why someone can have a lot of muscle and soak up a lot of sugar. So muscle's super good when it comes to balancing the metabolism. But if your sugar is at a normal level and your insulin's starting to rise, that person's in storage mode. It's very hard to burn fat when your insulin's high. And I catch this all the time. Glucose is in range. Meanwhile, the uh, insulin is just roaring behind the scenes and the fire is starting to brew. And what that tells us is your body's working really hard to balance your blood sugar. And what happens if you leave that, eventually their blood sugar will start going out of range. And it might not be for another few years, but the first thing that starts to go wrong is the insulin starts to rise, the tissues become insulin resistant, it puts you in storage mode, hard to burn fat. So insulin and, glucose for sure need to be checked. And, and let's preface this by saying that there will be, you will probably see a lot of um, insulin levels out of control with obese people. Like it, right. that's, it's just a given. And one of the number one recommendations for that is weight loss. I did actually see um, uh, an, a cool study that was done on spending like 20 minutes. And I know you're a big, you're 10 minute walk guy, you know, yeah. a big step gal. Um, 20 minutes first thing in the morning to open the sugar doors, which will help cool. with insulin resistance. And then I've heard other doctors speak about, you know, going for a 10 minute walk after each of your meals. Um, and obviously this is for people who have insulin resistance. Weight loss is the, the cure for it and don't have, need other medical um, help getting that in line. And let's talk about the walks and insulin and while we're doing it. I think I just posted it the other day here because I get asked about it all the time. I'll post my 10 minute walks. Essentially, I'll summarize the research very simply. One 10 minute walk after each meal is just as good as the diabetes medications they'll give people for insulin resistance and diabetes, which is pretty crazy. So metformin is the number one thing they'll give people first line drug for insulin resistant diabetes. If you just do a 10 minute walk after each meal, it's just as good or better than metformin, which is crazy because not too many drugs can match that. So it's just that powerful people. Like if you just get moving and get those legs pumping a little bit because your thighs and your quads and your hamstrings, your glutes, that's the main area that goes insulin resistant first. So it's really important squats, lunges, hiking, walking after meals. That one thing alone can start to get the insulin resistance under control. So it might sound too simple. Like what's he talking about? Oh, I'll just do 30 minutes at the end of the day. It's not the same. It's the pulse dosing that matters. You know that that's going to be the clip that I pull out of this podcast when I go to already? Add, like started. already. I know, <laughs> but it was, it was just, it was too good already. Okay, good. <laughs> Doing good so far. Yeah. I mean, we already uh, talked about, but I did also, you know, I'm, I'm, I really want to emphasize the part about how the muscle is also yeah. muscle mass is affecting it too. So, okay. I want you to finish wowing me though Hold with on. the rest I'll of keep it. Going. And, and that's why I love strength training and what you do with patients to get them, not just doing cardio, but to do resistance training, right. To, to build muscle mass and, and put some size on because that is like a glucose reservoir. Like you wouldn't believe. So it is one of the most protective things you can do for this. And again, it, it just comes down to simple lifestyle stuff, but strength training three, four times a week is very important. 
Um, so yeah, we'll test the insulin glucose. We'll fix what we find there. Now, if someone comes back with like mildly elevated insulin, or I, I suspect it's basically the units we use in Canada, if it goes above triple digits, say it's a hundred or higher, I know there's some element of insulin resistance going on. Um, I'll just quote some Canadian units, but I like it between 20 and 60. So your body should not be pumping out a ton in order to balance the sugars. And, uh, that's always got to be one of the first line things. We'll then also explore thyroid. So say someone is calorie deficit, strength training, doing all the right things, sleeping, et cetera, can't lose weight. What's the thyroid doing? Now, the issue with thyroid testing, not just in Canada, but also the United States, so North America in general, is they only look at TSH. And TSH is actually a pituitary hormone. So it's not even a thyroid hormone. They actually hang their hat on diagnosing thyroid patients by just looking at a pituitary hormone and that's it. So wouldn't it also make sense to maybe look at the thyroid hormone? So when people come see us and we need to get a full idea of what's going on with the thyroid, we don't just look at TSH. Too many people, they'll run their TSH and they'll be dismissed. They'll say it's in range, you're fine. Meanwhile, they have all the symptoms of hypothyroid or low metabolism, like inability to lose weight, cold hands and feet, maybe they wear socks to bed, um, swelling in the extremities, depression, low mood, low heart rate, low blood pressure. They just like, just tick, 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 tick all the boxes. Yet their TSH comes back in range and they get dismissed. Meanwhile, that patient is probably very likely thyroid and you have to dig deeper. So that's where we'll run a T3, a T4, and potentially thyroid antibodies. And just before we hopped on here, you were talking about one of your patients was diagnosed with Hashimoto's. So it's important to do the thyroid antibodies to see, is the body confused? Is there an immune um, action happening against your thyroid gland in the form of Hashimoto's or Graves' disease, which is another uh, autoimmune thyroid attack. So it's really important to not just do TSH, so we'll do TSH, T3, T4, and then you'll just make sure the antibodies are not too high. Because if the antibodies are high, your body's attacking the gland and its output will be less. It's funny so, that you say that because yeah. those two clients, the, the client that was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, I also at the exact same time had a client with Graves and, uh, but hers was diagnosed before we started working together. That, sure. like, I mean, the same principles exist yeah. in the the diet and lifestyle changes that I right. give them, but without knowing that was the difference between you know those two clients, one that was struggling with weight loss, and then the other one that could, because one had been diagnosed and the other hadn't. Yeah. So there you go, and. When it comes to Hashimoto's Graves, Hashimoto is a lot more common. Graves does happen. And you can also go into these Graves flares where people are, um, their thyroid's moving too fast and then eventually it crashes after. So either way, the full workup has to be done to ensure is the body putting out enough thyroid hormone. And I'll catch lots of people in what's called a subclinical hypothyroid state, which means the labs are not totally out of whack, but they have clinically all the symptoms and suboptimal T4 to T3 conversion start to support their thyroid, give them some T3, T4 support. What do you know? Like in a month or two, they're like, I've lost 10 pounds and I've like been at a wall for several months here. It's like, well, yeah, it's because your thyroid was just a touch sluggish. Just give it a little bit of love. And then boom, you, you can move past that one plateau. And uh, yeah, I, I can't tell you how many people walk around in a, in a state where they could probably benefit from a little thyroid support and they just don't get it because they run the TSH. It looks close enough nothing wrong with your thyroid. And meanwhile, we dig a bit deeper and we start to see all oh, this stuff that's popping up here. So um, very common, easy to fix, but you got to find the right practitioner. It's tricky sometimes. It's very tricky because um, sometimes doctors are more like accountants where they just obsess about the numbers and they forget there's like a patient in the room, like actually telling them something's wrong and they don't feel great. And they'll just be like, oh no, you're fine. 
the, the number here says you're fine. Meanwhile, it's like, well, no, <laughs> they are, like I was saying earlier, they're ticking a lot of boxes. Something's wrong here. So yeah, I'm becoming um, hyper obsessed about thyroid lately, actually. So I've been doing tons of extra webinars and reading books on it and just picking other colleagues' brains because this has been the single biggest thing that I've uh, been finding in people. And the reason is, you might ask, because we were talking about this before too, it's like you said six years ago, um, your framework worked pretty straightforward and now you're seeing a lot more people hitting sticking points and it's like, what's changed? Why are their bodies not responding the same way to just good old-fashioned strength training in a calorie deficit? And, and what happens is I think several things. It's always multifactorial. Yeah, we can get into the fact that there's, you know, there, there's plastics and xenoestrogens and herbicides and pesticides and all kinds of junk in the food that's starting to gum up our endocrine system, no question. Those gum up the insulin receptors, those gum up the hormone receptors, those gum up the thyroid receptors, for sure. Okay, so try to clean that up as much as possible we've been given and everyone should look into whatever that looks like, clean water, clean food, et cetera, you know, using glass over plastic, that kind of stuff. Those things matter because, you know, the planet Earth we're living in is not the same one it was 30 years ago. So that aside, um, where was I going with that now? So definitely the toxin side of things. Um, and I, I find that true with um, gut health issues too, which I'm sure you see. Uh, sometimes I talk about this with my clients that um, have IBS and stuff like that. And I'm like, again, that's changed so much just in the last six years of you know, nutrition coaching, I see more clients that have gut health issues, more food intolerances. And you can probably speak to that too, that those will also affect your results with weight loss. Um, and I'm sure you like, that's probably, I'm, I'm maybe jumping ahead, but that's no, no. what, that might be another thing that you start testing for is food intolerances as well. Yes. So there, and there's a segue to with thyroid there as well, the inactive thyroid hormone, which is T4, a lot of it gets converted in the liver and a lot of it gets converted in the gut. So if your gut health's no good, your conversion and utilization of thyroid is not going to be very good either. And that's again, where it can kind of look like somewhat okay in the blood work, but then it's not actually getting to the cell. It's not actually getting converted. And certainly if you're eating foods that are inflammatory, that you don't break down well, that your body kind of sees as an invader as opposed to a welcome guest and it mounts an immune response, you're going to have like water retention, you're going to have inflammation, and then that's going to generate toxins in your gut. And all these toxins go to the liver. And then the liver is dealing with those toxins and it can't burn fat. So the main organ that you need to keep healthy is the liver because that's where it oxidizes fatty acids. So if it's tied up dealing with medications, dealing with alcohol and dealing with toxins from the gut, from foods you're eating that you don't tolerate well, it's like, well, of course, fat burning is going to take a backseat. And so liver health is super important for this too. Liver also gets rid of hormones from your system. So quite often when people are dealing with like hormone imbalances, cycle issues, all your estrogen, progesterone, testosterone has to get broken down into smaller molecules and kicked out by the liver. So it's actually a centerpiece when it comes to all this, right? It's, it's needed to convert thyroid. It's needed to kick all these molecules out. It's needed to burn fat. And I think it's um, not talked about enough and people just trash their liver and they don't even realize it. And I'm like, you can't do that. You only get one of those organs. And it's so, so important. And so that's another thing too, that's just to keep in mind, sometimes we'll test for liver enzymes and just kind of see like what's going on there. But I'm a huge proponent of sorting out the, the diet. And so I, I do that with many, many, many patients where they're just like, I don't know what foods are agreeing with me. Sometimes it's hard to pinpoint. Sometimes it's obvious, but the food testing is cool because it picks off the silent food sensitivities. And that is a very important part of the puzzle. And like, this is the other thing too, is that, um, 
most foods generally, like I do know a couple of foods that I like, don't eat, you know, your, your big ones, like, you know, I know that onion doesn't always sit well with me, but you know, I still have some things like that. I would still, one of these days love to do all of the testing and just like see where all my, like, I generally don't have trouble losing weight and like, you know, that I'm a big, you know, you can include all foods. Yep. However, with my clients, I do still preach an 80, 20 diet, right? So 80% yep. whole foods. Um, however, when I talk about restricting food groups, I mean that restricting food groups for weight loss, like when people are like, I'm not going to eat carbs because I want to lose weight as opposed to restricting food groups because you have an intolerance to them. Some people can eat bread. Some people can eat pasta, right? Those do not sit well with them. They can have gluten or whatever it is. Those are two different kinds of restriction. Um, just because somebody recently asked me about, well, they're like, you talk about food restriction, but like, I have to restrict like pasta. So I'm like, that's not what I mean by not restricting food groups. But I, so back in the day, if people knew me, they knew that I drink a lot of alcohol. I barely drink any alcohol now, barely any. And I love being the inclusive person about things, but I just, I just know how bad alcohol is. I never make anyone feel bad about choices that they're making, but I also think that alcohol is hyped up too much as something that people should be doing. And it rarely do people talk about how terrible it is. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, you're, get... you're preaching to the choir here. I know. And like, because you talked about it. And like I said, we did talk about uh, sleep on yeah. episode 25. And it's like alcohol affects your sleep so much. Yeah, it completely and, trashes your sleep. Yeah. And I just like, I was like, since we're talking all healthy here, we might as well throw that in there about Maybe alcohol. Yeah, I think this needs to be talked about all the time. I think what you said there, I, I absolutely agree. Alcohol is totally normalized in our society. It is like, it's all good, do it all the time, socially drink with friends, but party, like, get blasted on the weekend. It's just pressured. Like, super, like if you say normal. no to a drink, yeah, then people are like, what's wrong yeah. with you? Totally. You're all of a sudden it's like, why are you drinking? What's going on? Like, what's your deal? It is crazy. The peer pressure is massive. So I gave up drinking. I'm 37 now. I gave up drinking when I was 30. So it's been seven years. My uh, circle completely changed. So like all those people, all the peer pressure, all the people I'd hang out with, you just realize the only thing I had in common with them was that we would drink and go to the bar and do dumb stuff. And so they're kind of like, well, Drew's not much fun anymore. So we're not going to call him. And so it's like these people just kind of worked their way out of my life. And then it made all the space for wonderful people that were more aligned with, you know, healthy and working out and self-mastery and just excelling in your career. So just like it brought wonderful people in my life. And that one thing alone changed everything. Brought an It's that whole in my life as well. Like the way I would have been able to attract my wife if I'd have been horsing around and drinking and partying all the time. Right. So it was like, I, I kind of realized in those moments is like, I thought I could be with and around people that, that had you know, a lot of alcohol in their life. But I just realized I'm like, I can't keep doing this anymore. And instead of trying to change them, I was like, I'm just going to change myself. I'm just going to delete it from my life. And then they just kind of gradually drifted away. And then all these other people that have come in, like nobody has an issue with alcohol that's in my life anymore. It's actually kind of crazy how it switched. It's funny. 
lots of my friends do still drink. Like I, you know how you meet people through the gym and stuff like that. So you have the, that crew um, that are huge drinkers. And then I still have my other like friends that do enjoy having drinks. And we're just at that point now, like our friendship's been so like, so long that they just know and they also know that like i can still like be like people watch me on social media all the time i do weird things like even completely sober so they're like well you're still fun to hang around with so they they don't really like pressure me to, to drink anymore so but yeah like i i just think that like number one thing and that's like when someone is like still a partier and they're like, oh, yeah, but like I'm eating at a calorie deficit. And then on the weekends you're drinking and stuff like that. It's like mm, you're going to have a really hard time losing any weight. So a huge barrier to the whole thing. And it's like, well, these are your goals. These are what we agreed on. Like, is this getting you towards that goal? And there yeah. just comes a point where you can't keep working against yourself. I try not to be the no fun doc and be like, everybody go stone sober. It's the only way to do it. But I yes. understand that like. You know, birthdays, weddings, anniversaries, save it for the special times. But just the random, I call it useless drinking. I say, if you cut the useless drinking out of your life, you will be doing so much better. Then you'll save it for the special times. You'll enjoy it. You won't overdo it. Um, but just that like, oh, it's Wednesday. I had a hard day. I'm just going to have like one or two with dinner. Well, now it shuts down the fat burning. Your sleep's going to be off. You're going to be insulin resistant the next day. So it's like, is that helping you move the needle forward? No, it's not. And so this can be a big one for people. And, and I encourage anyone listening, if they're unsure, you should Google like six month or one year before and afters when people stop drinking, they are unrecognizable in a good way. Yeah. Their, face, their skin, the puffiness, the, the weight just flies up. They do nothing else but stop the booze. And they're like, I lost 30 pounds. <laughs> and I they're know. like, acne and rosacea is gone. And they have like beautiful glowing skin and their eyes came back to life. And I was like, whoa. Now granted, some of those people might be going pretty hard. But it just helps you open your eyes to see what the what the potential is when you get a good handle on that. Totally. And I'm with you too. Like, I don't want to be like, like it's, I want to be like the coach that can help people, you know, still live like yeah. the, a Have fun enjoyment with that. Right. Yes. But yeah. I'm the same way. It's like, save it for the special occasions, you know, like if your birthday, like I would say still like four times a year, I remind myself why I don't drink. And <laughs> was you wake up with, you know, anxiety or whatever. Going, yes. What the hell just happened? 100%. And I never noticed it until like the last few years. And it's like, you guys, like, I like to think that I'm a pretty like, you know, like like stable with my thoughts and, and whatnot. Like I don't have like very much for extreme ups and downs or anything like that. The next day after some drinks, like, man, I'm, I'm thinking about things that happened 20 years ago. Yeah, it's wild. It's probably one of the biggest drivers for anxiety for people because in the moment it'll help squash anxiety and it's like that coping mechanism. But then the next day it just amplifies it like nuts. And so people crazy. have like anxiety and panic attacks and it's just from drinks the night before. Um, so yeah, crazy how, how my life and, uh, and health has changed. I've also been fortunate enough to see people at all different decades from like 20 all the way up to 70 or 80. And I just kind of get a sense of like, okay. And I get to ask everyone like, what's your alcohol intake? And then I get to review a lot of blood work. And I, I just seen it stack up where it's like, 
if you don't get control over that, like weird things start to pop up and it's like, it could happen at any age. I'm seeing guys my age with like horrible gout attacks and it's like, okay, boozing too much. And then you see people with like blown liver enzymes in their forties. And I'm like, okay, that's probably a little too much alcohol. And then of course we know it's connected to a lot of like cancers and heart disease. So yeah, I, uh, like I said, I've, I've in, in a good way been exposed to all that and that's helped me just make a lot better choices with my health and so I just share that with people and uh, kind of do with it what you will but yeah it's a game changer no more missed workouts on Sundays no more anxiety um, way more productivity clear mind as well I think is a big one just like no more tip of the tongue phenomenon no more fumbling for words it's just unbelievable how it unlocks your mind when you get that out and like I don't want to (laughs) I like I don't want people to think that like I'm no fun or whatever because that's not, not the case but like save it for the the times where it's like you know important and yeah. yeah when it matters and and yeah it's the same as like I think people see like two sides to they're like oh I saw you make a video on McDonald's so you must eat a lot of McDonald's and help people lose weight in McDonald's I'm like you missed the point of that video yeah you like the whole point is okay you are in a pinch you're trying to stay in your calorie deficit i don't even recommend my clients eating out in like restaurants where they're cooking your food you know like a like a steak place more than two times per week like you should be cooking your own food the majority of the time so um i think that's where when people see they're like oh well she promotes this and like there's a difference between promoting and like, you know, balance, moderation, all of those types of things. So we're just you know, giving people an idea if they're in a pinch, like let's at least make a good decision and not the best place, but just giving you some ideas, right? Yeah, like let's let's not eat 1200 calories yeah. of fast food in a sitting. And yeah, so and that's kind of, weird. but yeah, you said toxins and like, I'm talking that's about the liver and that's tangent. yeah but, that's where... <laughs> but it's important to talk about because if a lot of toxins are coming in then your metabolism is, is not going to burn fat and so it's... all these things are important you can't just be eating total junk either right so that's where yeah the toxins i was talking about earlier gumming up all the receptors for your hormones and it's like that's not going to be a an efficient fat burning machine by any stretch like when I say to my clients in their check-ins, like, okay, like let's try to eat 600 to 800 grams of fruit and vegetables every day. They're probably like, oh, <laughs> that's not um, any fun. It's like, no, but like you can still work something fun in there while you're eating your fruits and vegetables. Totally. No, but I like that's your kind of whole premise, right? Like the, you're still allowed to enjoy and have some of the stuff you like. I, people don't love to be told like never eat this again, or like that's off limits. Like that's not going to work really well. That's not going to be sustainable. So you need to have some of those things in there so that you can actually stick to it because the only diet or plan that works is the one that you're going to stick to. And if you fall off the rails, not going to work. Right. And totally. I think a good, healthy, stable system should be able to absorb the shock of that once in a while. That's how I kind of gauge a lot of my gut patients with, they come to me and they're like, no matter what I eat, it's a mess. And if I do this, I'm like screwed for days. I know we're doing better when their symptoms go down and they can absorb the shock of a bad meal where I'm like, okay, you went over to someone's house and you had no control over what it was and you just ate it and it didn't completely debilitate you. We're making progress. But then it also shows them that like, okay, I've got my gut to a point now where it's like, I can sprinkle a cheat meal in once in a while and it's not going to ruin everything. 
and a good sound metabolic system should absolutely be able to absorb it. So that's sort of a benchmark I use quite often with people. It's funny. I know actually quite a few people who had to go um, pretty much down to like a meat, a couple veg, just to reset their gut health for like three months. And like, I'm talking the, the plainest, blandest diet that you've like, they were like, I had to eat ground beef and like two, there were two vegetables that didn't, you know, that I could actually keep in my stomach to actually heal my gut. And I'm, this is multiple people that I know who had to do this. It's yeah. just so crazy how it's, people's gut health is being affected. Down. Yeah. And their guts are just such a mess where you're like, everything's flaring them up. And so you just got to pull it back to the basics. People are getting really good results with that. Actually, like you kind of described it as almost like a carnivore diet with like maybe a couple select fruits and veg, but very mm -hmm. simple, very simple, like low gas, easy to digest fruits and veg, and then just, just meat. And then you got to let the gut settle down because if there's significant inflammation or like IBS or Crohn's or colitis, it's like, there's no medication that's going to do what you just described, but sometimes these extreme diets as a reset are needed because so much damage has been done. Yeah. I do have one friend that the, I think she did it. Was it three to six months somewhere in there? Uh, the only thing that'll kind of set her off now is tropical fruits. Everything else she is okay with, like literally like could even drink like a beer and it wouldn't yeah. affect her, but tropical fruits is the only one thing. So it's pretty amazing how, stripping everything back down can do that. So yep. food intolerances, we talk insulin resistance, thyroid levels, blood sugar, yep. cortisol. I know we touched on it a little bit, but that's another thing that you like to test for, is it not? Probably worth mentioning too. Yeah. So waking in the midsection, whether it's like the hips or the belly, sometimes that can just be cortisol belly. And cortisol is not inherently bad, but if it's too high at the wrong times or too low or high at bedtime, there's some issues, right? So just for those listening, just to conceptualize, you should have a good peak and high release of cortisol first thing in the morning. And then it should gently fade as the day goes. So you want to high in the morning to kick you out of bed and then it should fade as the day goes because you want it low at night so you can sleep. If, if cortisol is high at night, you'll be wired. Your body will be tired, but your mind will be wired and it'll be hard to sleep. Or maybe you fall asleep and wake up between like 2 and 4 a.m. I'd be very curious to see what's your cortisol levels doing. And then if cortisol is just flat out too high to start the day or too high during the day, it's kind of another storage hormone, right? It, it mobilizes um, glucose from muscles and liver, and then it can lead to like central basically obesity and like belly fat essentially too. So important to make sure your cortisol curve is considered in a case like this where you're like metabolically what's going on i've hit a wall with weight loss or some people can't shed that like 10 or 15 pounds they have left to go they're almost there and they're just like what's with this belly fat and so right away i'd be looking at the cortisol levels to see do we need to lower it modulate it is it too high at night like essentially what is it so we usually do a four point check by either urine or saliva and you can see okay what's the cortisol doing at like 8 a.m 12 4 p.m bedtime and so and cortisol yeah. is getting jacked do you see primarily due to stress or why is it starting to why are people having problem. these yeah i mean stress is kind of the easy scapegoat and kind of what i was alluding to earlier everyone's dealing with stress people are like how do i become stress-free and it's like well as long as you're alive as long as you're here you're, you're gonna have to deal with it the only people that don't deal with stress or have stress are dead people so with that said it's how you deal with it how you blow it off um, tools and techniques are important. 
as well as reframing because a lot of people um, you can have two or three people in the same scenario one of them can have a huge stress response and the other two can be totally fine it's like well how do you explain that and, and it's all how you look at it um, how you reframe things and then tools and techniques so regular exercise helps you blow it off keeping your sleep cycle very consistent is extremely important so you got to go to bed and wake up at the same time every day if it is really high yeah it could be you know traumatic events high stress work family relationships i comb through all that with people to try and sniff out where is it coming from obviously if your body's going through something physiologically like you know if you're sick if you're ill if you're fighting something your cortisol is going to do weird stuff then too overtraining will also do this as well so you'll see in overtrained athletes, it'll rise at first. The body will just be like, damn, you're, you're physically stressing the heck out of us. So it rises first. If you try and maintain that with a high output, like mental, emotionally with work and relationships, eventually the curve will flatline. So there's several different phases to adrenal dysregulation. And the first one's like an alarm phase where it just goes up and then it goes into resistance and then it goes to burnout. So really depends where they are. Um, so yeah, because it's, at one thing because you you and i both do crossfit but one thing that i have heard from more people um in recent years is they're like i can't do crossfit anymore because my cortisol gets completely out of control and that wasn't anything people were always like oh yeah we want to do high intensity stuff and it's like yes exercise helps with stress However, if the exercise is stressing the body too much, too much. Yep. then the people aren't able to do those, you know, high intensity workouts. So hundred yep. um, percent. It's funny you, you say that it kind of reminds me of the same thing, the effect the exercise has on the immune system, too much exercise drops the immune system, too little exercise drops the immune system. So when you actually look at the curves for uh, immune and cortisol is kind of like it's like a reverse bell curve where it's like you got to find that sweet spot i guess is what i'm saying not too much but not too little because yeah too much exercise jacks up the cortisol suppresses the immune system too little also will do the same right so what, it's really about finding that sweet spot for you what do you think we're going to learn in the future about how that exercise affected high level athletes yeah. I think it's going to be pretty interesting because what's CrossFit, maybe like 10, not even 15 years old. Yeah. And this whole like birth of high intensity exercise. Yeah. Looking, starting to really track cortisol on people. I mean, how many athletes do I test? It's like the cortisol is jacked and their sex hormones go to zero. And I'm like, you're like childbearing age and this is not good. Like, what's that all about? And a lot of it traces back to the overtraining. You're all, I'll see guys my age not lost muscle amazing in the gym and i'm like why is your testosterone lower than like my 70 year old patient that has kind of like struck a sweet spot with his exercise very very interesting thing so it, in my opinion i'm already starting to see the follow-up from it and so like the proof's right there where it's like you know you're mid-20s maybe early 30s like you should have especially with the amount of muscle mass like the higher end of testosterone why is it mid-range it's like some very puzzling things it's not just the overtraining this goes back to the lifestyle like maybe they're screwing around with their sleep or maybe they're drinking a bit too much or maybe there's just something some other key piece that's not in place but i'm definitely seeing some negative follow from it because this whole like you know go hard or go home mentality it, it, not everyone can handle it right totally and i'll even like the some of the competitive like the actual competitive like the athletes not just like people who want to be but um 
right that they focus on their sleep they focus on their nutrition they focus you know they're trying to keep stress levels down they are training so hard but you can i can see it in their face i'm like oh wow they look rough because they're just training so hard and they have all like everything else dialed in some of them i've even heard they're like switched out the bulbs in their rooms to make sure they're absolutely getting no sort of like bright light like they want those red lights before bed and stuff like they're going next level on this stuff good idea (laughs) it is but i mean they it's still not affecting the impact i like it's it's not decreasing the impact that the intensity is having so um so yeah cortisol okay so one other thing yeah we should mention it because we're talking about cortisol there's just a big caffeine abuse pattern Mm -hmm. i see with a lot of people so be careful with that much like anything the dose dictates the poison so a cup or two a day for most people is okay if you have bad sleep or bad anxiety you probably got to pull it down further and maybe even eliminate it for a bit but i see too many people it's like two three cups and they grab a pre-workout and you'll look at their cortisol curve and it's like well cortisol should be falling and then you see these spikes throughout the day and that could just be around a workout because it's naturally going to kick your cortisol up but the caffeine abuse is very hard on the adrenals and that's the glands that are spitting out your cortisol so just important to remember um caffeine's great coffee's great but like a cup maybe a second cup for some people but most people probably just a single one and that's it same goes for energy drinks you got to keep an eye on this and two i think that like you said you have to see well like what's happening when you're drinking caffeine could you go a day without drinking it could you go two days what's your what effect is it having on you are you addicted to it like we we really like caffeine we we do i wouldn't say like to an extreme you know usually a cup in the morning and a pre-workout but i used to drink a lot more than that however i can go I don't need pre-workout. I like having it. You know, I think you need to be asking yourself, do I need it or do I like it? Yeah. And, and see what your answer is to that. So if you are reliant on it, then something probably has to change. And again, it's probably relating back to sleep. And then, oh, is that relating back to stress or whatever that is, right? Because those are all tying into each other too. Absolutely. Yep. So medical conditions. Okay. So if you've, te- you've tested if food intolerances, blood sugar, cortisol, insulin, thyroid. Yep. Now we're going into like, obviously some of these would start to be coming back a little wonky, but you talked about some uh, autoimmune diseases that could be affecting as well. Yep. What can those look like? So those will be just that deep dive I was talking about with the thyroid. So you'll check antibodies. You'll see them start to be higher than the cutoff. And then maybe there'll be some swelling in the neck. There might be some nodules on the thyroid. And that's when you know you're dealing with a little bit more than just a sluggish thyroid where there's actually some like um, immune system attack against the thyroid gland. This is where you may need to involve like an endocrinologist or someone that specializes in that kind of thing. Um, But the signs and symptoms will look very similar to someone that's just on the sliding scale of low metabolism. So once it's kind of balanced and they've been sort of worked over by the endocrinologist, that's what we'll kind of see like, hey, what sort of optimization of the hormones do we need to do? This is where we also need to take it one step further and do some immune support. Because if you're dealing with an autoimmune condition, you need to settle down the immune response. And so on top of maybe adding some thyroid hormone support in those cases, we'll use um, a therapy called low-dose naltrexone, which is a microdose of a medication that they give 
uh, in very high doses, but we give it at like one and a half to four and a half milligrams. And what it does is if the immune system is running high, it brings it down and balances it. And if it's running low, it brings it up and modulates it. So it can be a wonderful little immune remedy to balance the system and settle down the autoimmune tendency. Also with autoimmunity, you always go back to the gut. So any autoimmune case, if someone has like rheumatoid arthritis, Hashimoto's, Graves, I'm going right to the gut and going, how do we settle down gut inflammation so we can settle down immune system issues? And the reason that's important is because most of your immune system is along your digestive tract. So if your gut and food sensitivities are not looked after, all the immune tissue that lines your gut will go haywire and it further drives this autoimmune storm. Um, also for autoimmune uh, thyroid issues is a big correlation between gluten and Hashimoto's. That's the one thing that if you have Hashimoto's, if you just get rid of the gluten, it has what's called molecular mimicry. So when people ingest gluten, the body looks at the gluten molecule, gets confused. It looks similar to your thyroid tissue. It attacks the gluten molecule. It attacks your thyroid tissue as well. So for Hashimoto's or any thyroid patient, it's just like if you mix the gluten, that alone might make a massive difference at how the gland functions and how you feel. And that's why I'm just, you know, beating the, the same drum here, but like thyroid tissue, just, you know, it's everywhere. Every cell in the body needs that hormone. So if like, if it's not optimized, you're going to feel it in many, many different ways. So, um, and in a segue to the next thing I, I like to test is ferritin and iron because iron deficiency anemia is so, so common worldwide. And if you don't have enough storage form of iron, you're not going to be able to activate thyroid and you're also going to be quite fatigued. So a lot of people will come and they're just like, you know, they don't have that oomph in the gym they get fatigued doing old brisk walks or up and down stairs they get dizzy or lightheaded on standing they've been told they have low iron in the past and chances are it just hasn't been optimized because the range on ferritin which is your storage form of iron is huge it's like 15 to 247 and you could just sit around 30 and be told you're normal meanwhile it's like that's like one third of a tank of gas it needs to be like 80 maybe even closer to 100 and you'll feel so much better because um, the neurotransmitters in your brain require uh, proper amounts of iron. You can't get oxygen to your brain. So you have like brain fog and just like mental fatigue. And then also um, converting and creating thyroid hormone, you need a certain amount of iron. So I get all my female patients to eat like red meat a few times a week, make sure they're getting high quality iron, either supplements or like desiccated liver capsules is a good source of iron if you're low. Um, yeah, because that's also part of my metabolic panel. I'm like, what's your iron doing? Like, this is super important. And thyroid and iron um, can present clinically very similar. So it's like always test both. And you've talked a little bit about metabolic, you know, because we talked about it before, how people's metabolisms are being affected these days. And there's a lot of people out there who will be like, you can't break a metabolism. But there are some ways you can certainly do some damage to it. And like, I talk a bit on my platform about calorie adaptation, right? When you've been dieting too long, your, your body can downregulate, adapt to the calories that were, you were taking in that were once your calorie deficit. Now they're your maintenance calories. Ways um, to improve this is taking diet breaks. Yep. However, some things that I'm seeing with clients, um, you know, it gets harder for them, even if they've taken a diet break and all the, you know, taken all the appropriate stuff that they should be to lose that weight again. Um, and I'm not saying that they gained a bunch back, but they're like, you know what? Like I, maybe they've lost a hundred pounds. They've taken appropriate diet breaks, but I'm just finding their metabolisms aren't working the same way. 
And even myself, and I'll throw this out there, like I move a ton more than I used to. And people are always like, oh, like it's age and it's, you know, hormones and all of these different things that are affecting it. And honestly, like, I think there is just like, I just have to be a little more on point now. Like it is harder for me to maintain a certain set point than it was. And I don't think it's age related. I do feel like it has something to do with diet history. And I just wanted you to speak on that. Yeah, absolutely. We were talking uh, a little bit about this before we hit record. And it's a theme I'm seeing too, where it's like, I mean, the calorie deficit, like the the numbers just don't add up. I'm in a 500 calorie deficit. I I should be losing a pound a week and I'm just not. And, And they've gone through the math and recalculated macros and they're weighing their food and they're just like, what's going on? And so there are some ways to harm your metabolism. Yeah, you kind of alluded to age as being one of them. No question, basal metabolic rate will fade a little bit as you age, but we can't just write it up and chalk it up to that only and be like, that's it, because there's so many other factors with it. And muscle is a big one. The more muscle you have, the more calories you burn at rest. So that's why I'm such a proponent of like build muscle, build muscle as soon as you can. It's never too late to start. Do it, do it, do it, because it'll be the best thing you ever did. And I work at a clinic where a lot of weight loss um, happens. And there's some crash diets that are involved, some 500 calories a day. Do people lose weight on that diet? You bet, but they can gain a lot of it back because I think the missing link is they don't put on enough muscle to then soak up the calories. So when you start to resume and eat similarly to what you were doing before, you just kind of gain it all back. Plus, I also find too, if you lose it too fast, it's just too much for the body to keep up to. Like healthy weight loss is a pound or two a week. If you go faster than that, it's like very high likelihood you're going to regain, okay? So those are kind of the quick and dirties on just a basal metabolic rate to start here. But what you can do to harm it. So I have some some notes here that I just want to rattle off real quick because I think it's important for people to get these concepts. If you do a 25-day calorie restriction, you're going to have 50% less T4 to T3 conversion. So that's just one month. One month calorie restriction. I'm trying to lose some weight. It puts your body into a little bit of a protection mode where it's like, we're just going to slow down metabolism. So your conversion to T4 to T3 and if you were listening to earlier, I was talking about thyroid where it's like, if you don't get enough T3 to your cell, like energy won't be there. You won't be able to burn fat. You won't be able to have that spark plug to turn you on. So that's just one month. And that's now people are like, oh my gosh, well now I can't diet for longer than a month. It's like, no, but it makes it harder. And it, your body's downregulating. It's conserving yes. energy. You and don't want to move that. as much anymore. You have to be yes. consciously thinking about moving. Um, it might you know, after a certain amount of time, if the weight isn't moving, it might be another adjustment in calories because your deficit isn't your deficit anymore and those types of things. So that's important for people to know too, is that, yeah, like if if you were in a, like if your calorie deficit was 1600 calories and that was 500 and some people are like 1600 calories, that seems so low. And it's like, you know what? Like I, my, like, Right now with the training that I do, and that's another thing that I should mention when I say weight loss is harder, I don't get to do as intense training as I do because of my injury, because I like, I cannot squat like I used to, right? I used to, used to warm up with a weight that I'm like, like hardly squatting now because of an injury. So that is playing a huge role in my muscle mass and like weight maintenance. So it, it does make it harder. Yep. But when people 
downregulate and they, and I know that my maintenance calories are around that like 2200 and I move a lot. I walk a lot and it, try to keep that up because I know that I'm not, you know, maintaining the muscle mass that I used to in the gym, still keeping protein high to also maintain muscle. But when people are like 1600 calories for a calorie deficit, someone seems so low. It's like, it's not like, I don't know how many calories you think a lot of maintenance people are. I had somebody contact me once and they're like, oh, I was on my fitness pal. I'm like, based on my activity, activity level and my weight, it said that 1900 was extreme calorie restriction for mm. me, but I'm just not losing any weight. And I'm like, that's, that's, if you're not losing weight, then that's, that's not, you're not in a calorie deficit. Yeah. Right. Like if, if we're saying, if you're not, if you don't have any of these other like intolerances yes. or medical issues, right. Like, so yeah. That's what which, I mean. Happen, right? That's why I want to, it's good you're bringing me on to at least shine some light on this. Because, um, yeah, those that have significantly dieted in the past had about 25% lower metabolism than someone of the same size. So what that means is they might have to do 500 calories less than that other person just to stay even. And so that's where then you have to kind of d- dive a bit deeper and go, okay, do we need to adjust the calories? Maybe the met- metabolism has slid to the point where we do need to do some support for it. And that's why it's important to check all this stuff out because I know a lot of people just want to make it very like just mathematical where it's like calories in calories out at the end. And I'm telling you the hormonal impact of your body is super important too. calories in and calorie out matter, but so does insulin and so does thyroid and so does cortisol and, and the delicate dance of all these things. So that's why um, it's good. We're talking about this. Totally. And to like, Sometimes on social media, people say things just to get a rise out of people too, right? Because it's there's a lot of that because it's good for views. So like when I speak about calories and losing weight based on calories, I'm not speaking to someone who has a medical condition that could be affecting it, right? Um, but that also gets people people fired up in the comments so it's like they also have to realize that like you can't do one video that speaks to every single person because i wish it were that easy totally and so it's like when i speak about calories to people because that is the basis of my job is you know putting people into a calorie deficit I send them to an expert to talk about the the medical side of things when that calorie deficit doesn't work. So you people also have to like realize what they're ingesting on social media isn't always directed right at them. Correct. So yeah, yeah. a lot of blanket statements that for some of these stubborn cases, it's like that doesn't apply. Doesn't totally. apply anymore, and that's okay. So now you just need something a little more customized and individualized for you. And that's what this process that we're discussing right now offers. That's why it works so well. Because you're right. If the calorie, calorie deficit was still working, we wouldn't be having the conversation past that. It'd be like, great, keep rolling. We'll just make some tweaks and you're just going to keep going. But, you know, if you hit a wall with the goal, then you need to dig deeper. Exactly. And like what I speak about to my clients doesn't change, but they need to have something tweaked on the medical side of things right to be able to reach their goals there's things that i cannot do for them that are going to get them where they want to be because they have other impacting factors and like you said their metabolism could definitely be down and yeah i i've talked about this with clients in the past like like i said just um over the years as my business has developed and 
it's just something that I've seen with people. And when people are like, oh, like I have seen other people out there. And again, it might be just for the views, you know, saying that you can't, you know, damage your metabolism and things like that. But I have definitely seen them slow down from people who have previously died. Even if, like I said, they have taken a diet break, worked back up to maintenance cat like they're they're new maintenance calories right because they're make your maintenance calories change also as you get smaller and they're still like oh i have an issue losing weight like like why was it so easy for me the first time and yeah that's just something that i don't see a lot of um information on i guess yeah totally um and then the last piece i think when it comes to the workup and uh, assessment is the nutrients. So I'll also do vitamin D and B12. B12 deficiency, very common, important for energy, mood, mental health, but also if it's not high enough, you won't be able to mobilize and burn fat. So I have target ranges for vitamin B12 that I like to get people on. And then same thing with vitamin D, uh, metabolism, hormones, bones, heart, brain health. It's just critical for way too much stuff. And a lot of Canadians that I deal with in tree because we're above the 49th parallel, it's just like an epidemic of deficiency because we don't get enough sun. And in the few months we do get sun, people aren't sun tanning. They're basically blocking the sun. So should also talk about not fearing the sun, doing sensible sun exposure. It's the best way to generate vitamin D because the sun hits your skin, it twists cholesterol, and it actually generates vitamin D in your body. And it's a super important vitamin as well as a pro-hormone. So I'll also do that as part of a metabolic workup. What's vitamin B12? What's the vitamin D? If you actually just write, you know, type it into Google, like metabolism, weight loss, common nutrients, you'll see so many nutrients involved with weight loss and weight management in your body. And vitamin D and B12 are two important ones. Chromium is another one. Carnitine is another one that shuttles fatty acids into your mitochondria, which burns it for energy and mobilizes fat. And so it just goes on and on and on. There's just a lot of different factors. And again, it's not just a simple numbers game where it's just like, well, eat less and exercise more and you'll be good. That works. I mean, maybe for a good amount of people, but certainly, and like you're saying, this day and age, there's more to the puzzle than that. Now you're definitely seeing that. But like a caveat to that is that even if you have these things, you can still lose weight if you get them taken care of. Yeah, that's just it. Like pretty simple. Once you find that, just fix what you find. That's pretty straightforward. Yeah. And if this is one thing that I, I did want to, because like, obviously to work with an acrobatic doctor, it's a privilege, right? It's like, it's not covered by the Canadian healthcare system. And I know that I have a lot of American followers. So they're just like, mm, we have to pay for healthcare anyway. So I don't even know what you're talking about. Right now. <laughs> yeah. But they, they can just choose who they want. Yes. Yeah, so like as Canadians, like uh, people get used to going to the doctor and it being quote unquote free. <laughs> it's nothing free. <laughs> but then they're like, oh, but to see a naturopath, I have to pay out of pocket for that. What can someone now let's what what would you suggest someone who's like that I can't afford to come see a naturopath? What would your suggestion to them be? What could they do? You might have to shop around and find someone that's willing to do some of this stuff. Most medical doctors have access to every test I just said there. Most of them should be willing and able to. And if they're not, you need to find one that is. So if you have access to the free system, then you must do that. You should be following channels like mine. I have a YouTube channel. I have Instagram. There's a lot of tons of free information we give out. So if people don't have direct access to us or they simply can't afford it, it's like 
myself and lots of my colleagues it's like basically an open book on there if you go on instagram and youtube like you got to find the right accounts so if it's a licensed naturopathic doctor working in canada or the u.s those are good ones to follow because we're thinking outside the box with some of the stuff and we're, i want to say we, we know both sides fairly well and so that is the kind of practitioner you want and trust me there's a lot of medical doctors out there that have come to our side they know both sides very well and they'd be easy to find but you gotta look um so yeah don't just take the hand you were dealt or the doctor you were dealt i know we're dealing with a bit of physician shortage and crisis in canada where it's like if i fire my medical doctor or try and find another one i'm not going to be able to so yeah some of it is just i don't want to say begging and pleading because um you don't want to do that but it's trying to get them on board because I think if you assemble a health team around you of, of the right people, that there's there's a spot and a place for everyone. Some of these doctors think that they should be the only one where it's like, well, why can't they have like a chiro, physio, massage, a medical doctor, and an naturopathic doctor? I think I think that should be all the different spokes in the wheel to support someone's health. I think that seems reasonable. Um, but it's the tact and the approach. So, yeah, it, you know, if you have access to someone that can run these labs, just be like, hey, you know, I've been thinking about this, and I think I might you know, have this going on. What about maybe running some of these labs? Because if you just go there and say, hey, I was talking to this ND and he just told me to run these labs with you, like it's not going to land really well, right? So you have to develop some tact with this. And um, and then I've had people have success with that as well. But quite often people are just like, I'm done. I'm bypassing the system. Let's just do it. For any Americans listening, there's a website called anylabtestnow.com. Literally go pay for whatever test you want. You don't even need a doctor. You go to the lab, they draw your blood, they send you the result right back to you. Wow. Um, That's actually incredible. That. Any lab test now.com. It's crazy. It's like you're ordering a coffee. They just give you a huge list of labs. What do you want to run? Here's the cost for every one of them. You literally cherry pick and do it that way. It's so funny because um, in Mexico, I went and had an MRI done. And yeah. it's like, one, if I'm going to get on the you know wait list for them, I don't even know how long people are waiting for an MRI these days. I can obviously pay for one in Canada as well. Yeah. And yeah, like 1200 bucks to, to pay privately. And yeah. it's a quarter of the price here. But again, they do anything there. You could walk in and be like, hey, can you do, you know, yep. any of these tests? And they would do it for you. I didn't need a doctor's referral to go in nope. there and get an MRI. They were just like, tell us what Great. you want. And they did it. And yeah, it was so, I mean, there, there are, and people are like, what was this to go to Mexico? It's like, no, but like, this was what worked for me to get me where I needed to be in the next step of my healthcare. So, um, like I 100% recommend going and having testing done with drew because he literally focuses on these things and as you said there are certain ranges that some doctors will call normal yep. that you'd be like no there's no, no. way and totally. however they're whatever the recommendation on treating it would be as well there's that approach too that i think people have to take into consideration um is it more of a medicated approach or are they working with something that is more, you know, on the natural side? Yep. The, those are all things. Both. Yeah. All, but getting that second opinion is so important. And uh, I think your medical tourism plug is a good one. People should hear this. I mean, sometimes people are like, oh, should I go to Mexico? And I'm like, yeah, those are like North American trained doctors. You're going to get your procedure done, your scan done, your test done plus a trip to Mexico, then way less than you'd pay in North America. 
So I don't know what to say, except that medical tourism is definitely a viable thing. I was actually thinking of getting some um, dental work done down in Cancun and they were quoting me like a third the price. Yeah. And I, it's so funny. I came across a video and this person's like, oh, I went and had, I went to Tijuana and what did they have done? Maybe some sort of plastic surgery. And I got this from it. And I was like, I had a friend who had a breast reduction done that got flesh eating disease in a Canadian hospital. So do Mm. not sit there and, you know, like, obviously it happens happens up here all the time. Like, yeah, it's, that's a given, but I mean, I've seen some beautiful facilities in like Nicaragua, Thailand, Uh, people go to Panama, people go to Mexico and the price points are crazy and the quality of service is great and yeah you can literally get a a trip to the beach plus the procedures done for less than you pay freezing your butt off back home so i think it's an idea yes like for (laughs) like cost wise we're talking here right yeah for sure you know and if you're planning on having like a vacation anyway it's like just wind it all into one go get some hair plugs in turkey done while you're at it (laughs) i have tons of patients that have done that and really awesome results and i think I don't know the numbers exactly, but I know some of the the rough like hair transplants quotes around here are like twenty to thirty grand, and there you'll get it for like seven. I yeah, I yeah. have, I've seen crazy. some of the videos, and I think it's yeah, it's crazy. So, um, one other thing that I have seen talked about a ton on social media is the craze of the weight loss drug Ozempic, and. I know everybody wants that like one thing that's going to like that magic pill, that magic pill that costs, I think a thousand dollars a month or something. <laughs> so let's talk shot. about it. It's not even a pill. Let's just shoot up with Ozempic. Yeah, is, so it, I'm getting is, it, is it a shot it. in the glute? Is it? Yeah. Or the stomach or whatever. Okay. Yeah. And so I'm getting questions about this all the time. I have tons of colleagues that are doing it. And I talked to a bunch of them too. And it's like, yeah, it gets branded as this magic bullet. So it's a diabetic drug and a lot of people who don't have diabetes are using it and potentially abusing it. So just wanted to start by saying it's labeled uses for someone that is insulin resistant and diabetic, not necessarily someone that's just like, I want to lose 20 or 30 pounds and you don't have like severe metabolic dysfunction, but a lot of those people are getting it um, prescribed from their doctors and then they're getting it one way or the other. You got, you know, all the celebrities in Hollywood pumping it as well. Um, but it has some side effects. It's not without side effects, right? Like if you have history of thyroid or liver issues, it can rattle those systems. You're not supposed to use it. It can cause definite nausea, low appetite, vomiting. And in a way, sometimes people are always like, well, that means it's working because you're going to eat less. And it's like, well, of course you're going to eat less because you're nauseous all the time. And so the, the keynote from it is people will take two or three bites and just like, I'm done. Yes, their their satiety level like up so fast. Yeah, and like trying to eat a meal or have seconds is like no chance. They have a few bites, put the fork down, and that's it. Um, it's very expensive, like you said. Like the introductory dose of 0.25 milligrams once a week is like 300 bucks a month. Now you double it after a month, and you go to half a milligram. Now you're talking about 600. You go to the full dose, full dose, <laughs> full dose of a milligram. Now you're talking almost like a thousand. So it's like, yeah, some people's plans cover it, some people's don't, but a lot of people just don't care because is it working? Yeah, you bet it's working. It's definitely like knocking some weight off people, no question, helping with appetite regulation and cravings. But then it's like, okay, you run it for one, two, three, six months, then what? And is that safe long term? I don't have a great answer for that. Are you able to then get off it and maintain, or are you just going to rebound your weight back? Like, 
but I've been following people for like, you know, and not following them per se, but like checking back. Yeah. Keeping an eye on them. And like six months ago, this drug was popping up and now I'm seeing it too. And there's like, Oh yeah, I use it. They either used it, had really good results. Um, then they went off of it, started gaining weight back right away. Yeah. Or they started and had terrible vomiting, diarrhea, like yeah, just that too. Like the worst side effects. And they're like, how do I keep doing this? Like, yeah. I feel terrible. So yeah. those are the two things that I found from it is it's like anything that is a crash bad diet. It's like don't they say something like 95% of people who do those fad diets like end up gaining the weight back and then more? I feel like it's like that. I don't know. I'd be curious to know what the stats on like uh, weight loss surgery is as well, because I have a lot of people that contact me and say, Hey, do you work with people who had weight loss surgery in the past? Because I'm gaining the weight back now. And I don't know if you see have people come into your office as well. I have a few that do like the bariatric surgeries. And, you know, funny enough, since we're talking about Ozempic, it actually works on the same mechanism the bariatric surgery does. A lot of people think it's just like shrinking the size of the stomach so you can't eat as much. And that is part of it. But the actual like resection of the stomach and shrinking of it, it affects and changes the way the hunger hormones hit the tissues of your digestive tract. And that's the same thing that happens when you shoot up once a week with uh, Ozempic. It's like the hunger hormones, like your, your leptin, your ghrelin, all your satiety hormones, they all get kind of tinkered around when you do the bariatric surgery as well as when you take Ozempic. There's also a good herbal that works on the same mechanism that I use all the time. It's called berberine. And for like insulin resistance and blood sugar, blood pressure, cholesterol, it's a wonderful, wonderful herbal extract. 500 milligrams three times a day. Kick ass herb one of my favorites use it all the time so just a little side note there there are natural ways to push a lot of these pathways and so it's like if you don't have all the pillars of health in place you haven't tried some natural stuff and you're just going right for like a shot of something think about maybe the fact that you're putting the cart in front of the horse and bariatric surgery i've had a few patients um come in for iv therapy because it's one of the number one things that gives them some nutrients because in the first four weeks after the surgery, it's like, they're not allowed to eat a lot. They can't eat a lot. They're on a very liquid based diet. So I'll do like IV therapies with them where it's got like, you know, calcium, magnesium, your electrolytes, vitamin C, B vitamins, just to get some nutrition going and start to rev their energy systems a bit. But yeah, people can have pretty good success with the, um, the bariatric surgeries too. But mechanistically speaking, we're all talking about the same thing. It's funny. And two, like, if nobody this isn't interesting to anybody it's like nobody learned any habits from it and when you're not learning any lifestyle changes any habits to your day you guys all know what happens you always gain the weight back if you're not like essentially that's what i think i'm i'm more a habit coach than than anything right like that like that's what i'm helping people with is just repetitive building those habits so that it just becomes part of your day. And if you're not doing that, that's, that is yeah. the one key to it. So. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's the behavioral change that's more important. Cause a lot of people know like, okay, probably should be eating this, probably should be doing more of that, but it's like the gaps, not knowing it's doing. And so yes. that's where having an accountability coach, such as yourself working with a professional, such as me is like a huge part of it because it's like, if you sat them down and were like, could you maybe write out a few things you should be doing? They probably have a decent enough blueprint, but it's like they need help putting the game plan together, 
having someone to check in with them, having someone to monitor their progress and, you know, celebrate the little victories so that they can continue to move forward. That is what people need. Not necessarily like, give me all the knowledge and tell me exactly what to do. It's, the, it's the holding your hand along the way and walking the journey with you. It's that it's the habit loop. And I'm, yeah. and like anybody who's looked into anybody who's successful, like understands the habit loop, right? You, you start something, something positive happens, which reinforces you to want to do it again. And that starts building that habit loop. And the longer that you can keep in that habit loop, like the, the reward, you know, and then eventually you need less of a reward and then it it just becomes the habit. And that's like the basis of anybody and not just like successful with like health and weight loss, but like, like everything in life, business, like successful people, it applies to everything. So if you're not tapping into building habits, you're not going to be successful with literally anything. It's just, yeah, it's good habits versus bad. And you got to establish the right ones. That's kind of the difference between success in life or not. Right. Totally. Um, yeah, I think that is a great place to leave it. So what I want though, is for you to tell people how they can follow you, how they can get in touch with you, because as you said, like you've got all of these, there are free resources or they can do a telehealth consult with you and get some testing done. Even if they don't live in your province, you can still work with people in other provinces. Plus, your focus being on so much about metabolism and those types of things, I think is such a great resource because that's mainly what my listeners want, right? They are looking for to soak up all of the, the weight loss and health nuggets that they can. So how can they get a hold of you? How could they, you know, book an appointment with you? Tell us. Let it go. Yeah. So Instagram is definitely the best place to find me. Very responsive on there. You can send me a direct message. My handle's at Drew dot Jameson. So D R E W dot J A M I E S O N. And then I also have a YouTube channel. So I have long and short format videos on there. If you want to learn about different health topics, whether it's digestion, sleep, stress, anxiety, thyroid, I have five, 10, 20 minute videos on all those topics. I have a huge library. So it's just Drew dot Jameson on YouTube. If uh, none of those work, you can send me an email. Just give you my, my Gmail here. It's just dvjamison at gmail.com. Feel free to reach out on any of those platforms. And if you have questions, let me know. If you want to book an appointment, um, we can just exchange a few DMs and I can let you know how that works. I have a full uh, telemedicine setup. It's kind of got like a you know video format. It's got uh, all the online paperwork. It's kind of all integrated into one. So a very easy, slick system that I had to establish through COVID. I've just continued to use it. So there was some silver lining that came out of the lockdown where it was like, how do I stay connected to people? And so um, got a really good system for that. And yeah, just obviously love what I do. Love helping people with their health. It's very rewarding work. And so, yeah, if you need help with anything, just please reach out. Let me know. Amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on here again. And we will definitely do this again. I know that they, the listeners love everything that you have to say. So we're going to do it again soon. Awesome. Be happy to. Thanks so much. Head over to my Instagram page at sweat underscore effect for all of my insights, experiences, and daily doses of goodness. Until next time, keep on having fun and keeping fit.